Welcome to another episode of Challenge the Norm, where we challenge the norms of society through the lens of biblical hermeneutics to understand where we are on the time frame because I am of the conviction that the Lord Jesus Christ's return is imminent. Welcome to 2022. I pray that the Lord will guide you throughout this new year. And tonight I will be reading an extract to you out of the book called Is Jesus Still Relevant? Today I will be dealing with the triplets. The Bible says in Matthew 6 verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The warning signs are imminent. And if the church do not react, we will be responsible for the loss of countless souls to the triplets. Let us not think denominational here, for labeling has always brought groupings, divisions, and social exclusion. The true believers, those who worship Christ in spirit and in truth, those who walk in true doctrine, we are the church, the body of Christ. The Greek word ecclesia means the called out ones. This reaffirms the fact that once we were part of the worldly system, but now we see ourselves as the citizens of the kingdom. The Hebrew word that closely resembles church is kolal, which means assembly. Being in close contact and community with one another is essential not only for consensus and tolerance, but also the ability to warn the nations of forthcoming dangers through the prophetic gift of the Spirit. The gift has often been neglected in our society when the church is in allegiance with the triplets. Well, it is wise to say to be forewarned is to be forearmed. The church is particularly based on individuals who form part of a community or converts with repentant hearts. This is not enough, as the whole nature of the individual needs to be transformed. This is where the word repent comes in, which is from the Greek word called metanoia. It literally means to, to perceive afterwards or a change of heart. The concept is, is a very relevant concept and the term is realizing one's own sin. And you acknowledge that sin and a necessary change of heart, behavior and mind is in full effect. On the other hand, the word converted in Greek, epistrepho, means to turn about or to turn towards. Now in my experience in the military, when reinforcing discipline to a recruit, certain drill instructions are given and must be executed with precision after each command. There's one drill instruction called a bow turn, which is executed when facing, from, from facing the instructor, instructor to facing away from the instructor. This is done to face the drill instructor. So if you're standing with your backside to the drill instructor and he says, a bow turn. You make a 180 degree turn right around to face your drill instructor. 
the same principle is present as a call is made to turn away from sin, turning your back on sin and facing God on your knees, having access to the throne of God. The third word in our armory is transformation, which is, 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 can be translated in the same Greek word called metamorphosis. It showcases a total change. Such as when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. All these concepts are very integral to being part of the church. Remember these three as they are the only way to combat the triplets. Triplet number one, secularization. Many theorists or intellectuals are constantly in denial pertaining to the ever-present danger of secularization of the secular state. The one force of the triplets deals with the decline of religion as such, and a new dawn is slowly and certainly clouding our judgment and discernment. Look at our government, not being Christian anymore, the banning of prayer in public schools, not forgetting the lack of interest in spiritual and religious affairs, especially by the new generation. Ingolard refers to secularization as the transformation of society, from a close identification with religious values and institutions towards a non-religious or irreligious values and secular institutions. He mentioned that in the process of societies through rationalization and modernization, religion loses its authority in all aspects of social life and governance. The age that we are living has proved that religion is truly fighting to keep its head above the water. On the surface, in our democratic dispensation, it seems that everything is in order, but beneath the surface of our society, a decline in the authority, especially concerning Christianity, has come into fruition. Oh, I had no idea once if I were, I had this idea once, if I were to be the president of South Africa, I would proclaim it to be a Christian state with Christian laws with Christian norms, with Christian values. Well, I don't know the extent of my ordinance, but I can briefly imagine the response from the United Nations and human rights groups. They would probably slaughter me with attempt to sanction me and South Africa with repeated referrals to plurality of societies, norms, and plurality of religions, values, and rights. Well, true, and I respect that. But what about Christians in Libya? What about Christians in China or Morocco or Tunisia, India, Arabia? And the strict control over Medina, which excludes Christians from entering the sacred land of the Islamic community. Why must we bow before Allah, Buddha, Krishna and secularization? Do not try to tell me about we serve one God. How is it possible when we keep fighting one another? Who is God? All I know that the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God. Today I can confess Jesus is Lord. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Krishna. We as Christians have become cowards. Yes, I said it. We enter into dialogue with one another over our faith 
That is as far as it goes. We are enslaved by yoga, which, by the way, is not a biblical ritual. When you go on holiday to Islamic countries, under Sharia law, women are forced to wear Islamic attire, even though they are not Christian. Is this tolerance to live under Islamic law or rule? Tell me, why do you compromise? This is just a piece of my Christian mindset. But we all know that God has a heavenly kingdom and his glory shall know no end. Yes, I am tired of living under Kuyos Rehu, Ilios Religio, whose country you are, you are in. His religion you must accept. I'm tired of that. David Martin tells an interesting parable. He describes a time and a place where the elite of society has become agnostic and skeptical. The masses are superstitious. The young either do not care about religion or are experimenting with strange oriental sects. Political leadership pretend to be religious for their own purposes. Religious organizations continue to exist, but there is little of the prophetic about them in their ministry. Hmm. Or to the culture and psychological needs of their members. The active prophetic voice is powerful beyond any form of oppression and malice. The same voice that spoke liberty from apartheid. During transition, the powerful God-breathed voice has been lost by the custodian, the church. Now, we employ secular philosophies to help our congregants. When they're in trouble in their marriage, we send them to psychologists. What happens to good old prayer and the prophetic power that was once in the grasp of the church? I might sound irrational to you, but it works. The church is allowing this irreligious nature of her surrounding influence to, to change the conduct of the church internally. And the conduct of the church has been instituted by Jesus Christ himself. A sub can only stay afloat because it refuses to allow the environment to get into it. For once, when the external becomes the internal, the church will sink. Where's our hunger for the sacred? Or must everything be calculated, proven, and then seen to be believed? Please, read Hebrews 11 once again and know whether visibility is an expression of faith. But the sacred and the divine, which is eternal, is not visible to the naked eye. Houston Smith gives a very rational empirical description on how he sees the relationship of the secularization model. This is all done with empirical data with a group of eight upper-class men, and this happened during, the, during 1967, so far back. The students of this program were given topics to Asian thought, Indian and Chinese texts, respective traditions, from UFOs to tarot cards and witchcraft and magic, and... They were given all the psychedelic drugs. They were on drugs. They were eating brown rice. They were meditating hours on end. 
they were making their decisions by I Ching divination, which one student designated the most important discovery of his life. They were constructed, constructing complicated ele electric experiments to prove that their thoughts via psychokinesis could affect matter directly. Uh, they, they were not Flebans. Intellectually, they were aristocrats with the highest average math scores in the land. Ivy League verbal scores in two or three in the MIT sciences. What have they learned throughout the semester under this uh, study or this research that have they done? I don't know. What I learned was that the human mind stands ready to believe anything, absolutely anything, if it provides an alternative to the total desacralized, mechamorphic outlook of objective science. This is so confusing and still some find it easy to believe and internalize. The test subjects, the students, in our example, really surprised me. But it's not hard work to understand since the, the cinemas these days, everything that is projected looks like witchcraft and has the form of violence and all permissiveness, like in the days of Noah. The earth was wicked and filled with violence. And God was sad for making humans. And we are so oblivious about what is really happening around us. The example is further based on previous encounters with the secular model. And we can see in our contemporary setting, the secular is prevailing. For the church is only switched on on Sundays when the music starts. And when after the preacher has spoken, we, we return home and we remain the same. We have no faith, no God, no response. And revelation ceases to exist. We are too scared to listen to our frailties, to correct us in becoming people while living more closely with a living God. We are not keen to acknowledge how far we are from God because we must have the appearance of holiness and we are missing out on a relationship of a lifetime. Instead, we allow science to dictate our belief in the living Jesus. We have fallen far from where we were. I'm not excluding theologians here for they are the ones training church leaders while they deny Christ, some of them. Many church people have negative views of theologians and vice versa. I believe equilibrium can be reached when theologians put away their doubts and their analytical behavior and their academic um, exegesis on the text and start to, 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 to handle the word of God for what it is, the word of God. Theologians tend to be more secular, even more secular than the government itself. And slowly but surely, they are fading in the belief in the Bible. Theologians question God too much. This creates a problem. Because crucial knowledge is not truly acquired or distributed and acted on the impulse of a variety of problems and challenges. But a particular action needs to lead you to, to understanding where you are situated within your faith. I believe theology is enriching. And being part of the church is even more enriching. The solution will only arise in a united struggle from 
theologians and the saints. Theologians need to repent. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Conversion needs to take place and transformation needs to occur in their respective lives. Having the worldview will, will, will help the man or the student with enough sound knowledge to walk his life in faith, faith in Christ. Let's take the poison out of theology and let us allow the church to be good Samaritans. It really states that theologians feeling very much in the backwater of the university world. They are frequently almost pathetically eager to prove that they are enlightened as much as their colleagues in real science, who apparently are the people they have in mind when they speak of the modern man. Exactly how much can we quantify who is really a modern man? Do we just accept a watered-down version of traditional Christianity? Then also many intellectuals are notoriously extremely bored. They like to call this term alienation today. Our intellectual Maharajas are, are no exception because they mainly talk to each other and they are unable to uh, have real community with, with their peers, with with. With, with others around them, it becomes an intellectual exercise in understanding the new concepts and ideas and theories that, that is embedding their mind and their tongue and their heart. There's no telling what outlandish landish religiosity, even one dripping with savage supernaturalism, may yet arise in these groups when they interact with one another which will once more leave our theologian where he started, on the outside of the cocktail party looking in. The secularization model is a threat that is creating an imbalance in church life and in the field of theology. The proper way we're dealing with this is to deal with it by not forgetting the power of the prophetic voice of God, which... He gave to the church. Hmm. We get sucked in so easily. And as a Christian theologian, I tend to be motivated many a times by ambition. But the danger that's lurking is a secularized, false prophetic voice. Theologians in their respective rights are to forewarn the church will further distribute the healing to society. This can only be done when a true alliance with true biblical theology and biblical hermeneutics is applied. This seems impossible with the other two dangerous components of the triplets haunting not only theology but also the church. But they can cause total alteration which could shape the lives of the whole world we live in today forever join me next time as we delve into triplet number two and triplet number three